the table and welcome to the Braveheart Podcast. We're focusing on two aspects of the table of the Lord, which are the proclamation and message of the gospel, but also practicals on living out this message with each other as brothers and sisters and family in Christ of different backgrounds, races, and denominations. Though we may not normally find them in our various organizations, they're here at the Lord's table alongside us. This is New Covenant Unity. Yet because we're so accustomed to merely having organizational unity, it feels strange to embrace New Covenant Unity. Organizational unity can only bring about people who look the same and who are culturally similar. But New Covenant Unity is brought about by our common faith and union to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. This real, intimate connection we have with Christ produces a real and intimate love for one another, despite cultural and societal differences. We too must learn to welcome, love, and rejoice in the maturing process of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Too often we get distracted by what people are not, instead of seeing what they will be as they continue to feast at the Lord's table. And we hope that this week's episode of the Braveheart Podcast strengthens and encourages your faith to do the exact same in your church, in your family, and to the lost. And if you want to follow along with Peter and Christy as they're teaching throughout this podcast, you can go into the description, click the link, and it'll bring you to a free resource that we have just for you. We love you, we thank you, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode of the Braveheart Podcast. You know, I talk about diet. I love bread. I'm, you know, I'm an evangelist for Jesus, but like, here's Jesus, and then like bread is right down here. My wife will tell you, we love bread, and bread has really come under fire in these last 20 years or so. Gluten. If you have a gluten allergy, we will pray for you. A gluten allergy that you don't want. I'm kidding. See, some of you are like, wait, what? Bread is good. Speaking of bread, Matt, stand up, please. This man makes some of the most delicious, they're called Uncle Willie's Sour Squares, right? They're sourdough English muffins. Yeah, so when we do a team field trip to Cincinnati, he's going to make a whole batch for us. So every morning in Cincinnati, I was just toasting those things, putting butter on them, and I was ready to go. Praise God. Now listen, if I ate Uncle Willie's Sour Squares every meal of every day, it's no bueno. Right? You need a balanced diet. And so again, it's the same with the revelation of Christ. Like I love a heavy dose of the Messiah. I actually can't get enough of it. But if you never, ever, ever hear that he's ascended and that he's a high priest and that you actually can have power, you'll just stay in that place. And so so the three fruits that I like to attach to the three revelations of Christ are this. I believe the Messiah produces peace in our hearts, peace with God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God, amen? And it's the revelation of the Lamb of God who 
brings us to that place of peace. And I would say, I would interchange confidence. So when I say peace and confidence, I believe the lamb does that. The high priest produces power in our lives. I said, yeah, with peace. You didn't say that with power. Because what does the high priest do? He takes your blood-soaked heart that's now perfectly clean. He cleanses your temple by his blood. Amen? And he takes now the cleansed, pure temple, and he dips you into God. That's what baptism means, to be immersed or, or saturated in. So he takes you like a river. You know water baptism, right? You guys know how it looks and how it works. They take someone and, and they get physically wet. Well, the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ takes us and he dunks you into God. Now, how many of you knew when you got baptized that you got wet? How many of you were aware of it? How much more should you be aware if you get dunked in God? People ask me like, what, am I, how do I know that I'm baptized in the spirit? How do you know you got baptized in water? There's water all over you. There's God all over you. So that having God all over you gives you power that's not you. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was not about tongues. I'll come after some of you folks. Let me hear you speaking tongues. Stop it. It's about power. It's about the power of God forming the nature of Christ inside of you, not connected to how many hoops you jump through. It's about the fruit of Christ popping off of your life. It's power. It's the power to, to live a godly life. It's the power to make him known. It's the power to worship freely. It's the power to see God. It's the power to understand the scriptures. It's a power that's not connected to man. It's real power. God wants you. This is the amazing thing, and I want you to get this. For those of you who are believing for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or you go, I don't know if I've been baptized, I wrote back to Pentecost to, to Bible, to, to where I was. I was a Bible church believing person who did not understand or have a grid for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you know, if you've been around the block before, you know that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a very controversial, even saying that triggers people. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, do you wanna know the other word for it in your Bible? Is the promise of the Father. It's the promise of the Father. Jesus said, hey, I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. The father's like, hey, I promise. Jesus is like, he promised and I get to do it. Do you know how much fun Jesus has baptizing people in the Holy Spirit? It is like his reward. <laughs> so that's power. You've got peace and you got power. Now, let me tell you, how many of you have been around or seen a church and all they talk about is the power of God? They don't talk about anything else. They're just the power. We want it now. We want it now. And listen, the power is true. It's right and good. But when you only have the power, it becomes this culture of power. And who's got all the power, right? It's like, who's got the power? And now success is power. 
And now you got people striving for power because all they're preaching is just this power thing, right? And now listen, it's good and right in its context. In, in the ever-ascending revelation of Christ, understanding where the power comes from, right? So you've got the Messiah producing peace and you've got the high priest producing power and then you've got the bridegroom which produces purity. So you could preach the Messiah in the high priest and if you left out the bridegroom, it's like, have, it's like playing basketball with no shot clock. 80 of y'all got that. In basketball, when the team on offense gets the ball, for those of you who don't understand, they get the ball, they have a shot clock that starts counting down, and I think it's 24 seconds to, to do something with the ball. If the ball doesn't touch the rim, which shows intent to score, to play offense, if the ball doesn't touch the rim, it's a violation, they lose the ball, Okay. Imagine how compromised basketball would get if you took away the shot clock, which before the shot clock, it, was, it started getting messed up. Because what would happen, teams would get up by 10 points and there was no shot clock. So they would get on offense, but they would play not to lose. So they just passed the ball around and never actually played the game because they had a lead. Sound familiar? Well, I got my salvation. Praise God. I got my covenant with Jesus. Mm. Just going to let him love on me. Mm. Listen. Some of you now, I, and, I, and I'll, we can repent for all this. The churches that only focus on the second coming, they make you a little nervous, right? They're like, he's coming. He's coming. And there's this intensity and this feverishness to it, right? There's, a, there's this unhealthy urgency to it, right? Because that's all they think and talk about is the second coming. And there's no revelation of his grace and the love and the mercy connected with the Messiah. But can I tell you something? You guys want to talk about a healthy diet? Some of you do keto, paleo, whatever other O. If you start consuming the Messiah, the high priest, the bridegroom, all of a sudden, all of these powerful truths are held in tension and you start living in the most radical love of God. You're like, I am loved by God. And then you're like, wow, I've got so much power I don't know what to do with. And then you're like tempted to just sit on your laurels and you're like, nobody's coming, so I'm gonna run with this thing and give it to everyone I know. And so, so the reason, I believe the reason we're not seeing a mature bride is because we haven't given her a mature diet. All right, so I just wanted to kind of button that up. Peace, power, purity, Messiah, high priest, bridegroom, justified, sanctified, glorified, spirit, soul, body. I don't have time. We, we, have, we have simple resources for all of that to teach that. But I wanted you get, guys have handles for that. Cool. Any questions about all of that? Any of that? Purity. Yeah, and this is in your Bible, I'm not making these things up. <clears throat> yes. 
Um, yeah, the question was, if you notice someone who uh, is maybe stuck on one of the revelations, is there, are you, can you be more specific? Or is there someone you have in mind? What's their name? I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're not with you, are they? Yeah, you're, it's a, yeah, there's, there's two things. The bigger question, the, the stuck on yourselves actually is an age old problem that goes back to the fall. When we, when we not only sin, but we ate of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happened is our eyes were opened and we saw our own nakedness. And man has been obsessed with his nakedness ever since. So, but to answer your first question, guys, let me tell you this. I, I will, and we're gonna hit this in this next section. The temptation happens when you feel like we're getting revelation that's awesome and amazing and exciting is there can be this elitism like we understand and they don't. And I am going to absolutely smash that thing. So what can happen is now all of a sudden you start to see, you start to see and you see that other people don't see. You don't have to look far. There's other people who and they don't see. The best thing you can do before I'm gonna go tell someone to eat a diet like me is I'm gonna eat a diet. And I'm gonna let that diet have its work in me and, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have the proverbial six pack and it's gotta be proverbial right now. I'm gonna have the proverbial six pack and let my life reflect the diet. How many of you have you ever seen those guys that get real fit and you're like, dude, what are you doing? What have you been doing? Wow, you look great. That's what we want. So if someone's stuck eating Twinkies or just eating bread or just eating vegetables or whatever, and it's not balanced, they're, they're, they're gonna not be able to express the fullness. But when they see it in you, when the word is flesh in you, it's gonna be real easy to have that conversation. And then you can, when they're ready, when there's grace, you can, you can help them and shepherd them. But God's real patient. We'll talk about that. Yes, in the back. Are you asking for you? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, so, so for me, everything, uh, grace comes by faith, right? So the grace of God is the power of God which is really the experience of us, of what you're talking about. Like peace is a manifestation of grace. You guys with me? Like if you don't have peace, then you're missing that grace that's producing the peace. If you don't have power, it's, 
it's because you're missing that grace. If you don't have purity, it's because you're not experiencing that grace. And so grace comes through faith. So to the extent that our faith is strong, there will be a flow of God's grace, right? So the reason why we have those things where we're like, man, I don't, I feel like I'm lacking here. It's because the, the conduit through which, through which God's grace can flow to us, the conduit gets narrow through a narrow faith. And so what, what we've done here is we've actually expanded our capacity to have a big faith so that rivers of grace can flow in and we can begin to experience more of the new covenant. And so practically, again, all of our resources from the podcast to the books to the video courses, they are designed to strengthen your faith and broaden that pipeline, if you will, call it a pipeline, so that God's grace can flow to you. Does that help? So, and, and here's the other thing. God, God has covenanted through his son to father each and every one of us. So it's not like when I say diet, the father's actually feeding you and he's revealing aspects of Jesus to you. You just gotta give him time. Like I can't look at all of it all at once. People say, look at Jesus. That used to bother the fire out of me. Just look to Jesus, brother. How? Is anyone ever, am I the only one? People say, look to Jesus, and you're like, I really, for a long time, because I came from the Bible church, and then I got, now it's more like charismatic, spirit-filled. People are like, just look to Jesus. I'm like, I'm like, do they see something I'm not seeing? How? And so practically, I'll just give you, again, handles, and then we're going to hop into this. Um, practically, um, I look at him through his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ and faith comes by looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so here's what I've learned is that you may know about the cross, but you may not be looking at the cross. You may know about the grave, but you actually haven't looked at the grave. You may know about the resurrection, but you haven't looked at the resurrection. So see, something happens when you look at Christ crucified. Like I said this the other day, how many of you felt you woke up this morning and you, you felt loved by God? Okay, so not, not everyone. How many of you woke up and you didn't necessarily feel loved by God? Y'all are so shy, really? Only, okay, so we needed, we didn't, some of you were non-voters, okay? <laughs> Stop. He said too soon. (laughs) How many of you have really gotten in a funk and you've actually believed for a while in a season that God God doesn't see me, he doesn't love me, he doesn't care about me? Okay, good. The reason that's prolonged for however long that was, is because you had a reality that you knew, but you didn't actually look. Let me give you an example. If I were to actually put the, the crucified Christ before you, meaning like if you were to watch it HD, not just on a movie screen, but you were there and he's breathing and the blood's dripping down and you're looking down at the thing, you're like, what is that black stuff on the ground and you realize it's the it's the blood and the dirt becoming mud 
And when you, when you go to that place and you, and you try to say out loud to him as he's got the crown and he's bleeding out for you, I don't think you love me and care about me. I don't feel, I don't feel like you love me. I don't feel like you care about where I'm at. I don't feel like you see me. What happens when you get real with God, see, I I want you to know I've done that. I've, I've brought those feelings to God when I used to live by feelings. Till I realized I was a believer. I love your feelings and your feelings are amazing. <clears throat> but you're not a feeler. That's not your identity. Your feelings indicate what you believe. Your feelings are just fruit of what you believe. And I, I want to say this. Many of you are asking for prayer for your feelings. You go people and you say, I need prayer. I'm feeling this way. I need prayer. Would you pray for me? And I, I think probably eight out of 10 times you don't need prayer. You just need repentance. And I'll listen that is not undermining and diminishing how you feel. But you, but you are not defined in a prisoner and a victim of your feelings. And there is a belief at work underneath all of it that is causing you to feel that way. And usually if your feelings are out of line, it's because you're looking at you instead of him. And you're believing something about him that's not true. And this will save you a lot of time. And a lot of people, this is the, this is the problem, is a lot of people, um, a lot of people actually have created ministries around feelings. Now, I, how do I say this? How do I say this with, I, I, I'm not trying to diminish like the processing of feelings. I think it's super healthy to process your feelings. But in your process of feelings, you've gotta be willing for truth to come and to change what you believe that's producing those feelings. It's really important. And people get stuck in receiving ministry after ministry, dealing with the feelings and they bring the feelings subsiding, the feelings subside, but their beliefs never change. And so they just go and cycle again and again and again and again. And it's a prison. And as soon as you're willing to repent, which was what Jesus preached, he says, I want you to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's a new way of thinking. You can experience the kingdom in a new way. You have to be willing to exchange what you believe that's causing the pain and causing the anxiety for what's true. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and it'll set you free. And this is really complicated, but it's, it's really important. And so any other questions? I, hopefully that I kind of answered your question. Yes.
Yeah, with family, with with church, with people you care about and you love that you want, like from a pure heart, you may have this and you go, I wanna bring people into this reality. Um, I, I would just maybe pause and say, hey, it's first gotta be real in you. You don't have to prove anything. It says in Luke 7, wisdom is justified by all her children. So like there's so much arguing in the church about like, well, who's right and who's wrong? Well, wisdom is justified by her children. Do you know how I interpret that to mean? It's a silly analogy. It would be like me standing up here and going, I have, I have been intimate with my wife. And y'all would go, nope, don't believe you. And all of a sudden, five of my children walk in. I don't feel the need to argue with you. Just hold my little rascals. Smile. The argument's settled, right? You can't now, it's a stupid argument. And someone that would keep fighting that argument, you'd be like, See, children is the fruit of intimacy. You're gonna claim you have intimacy with God, you have this thing, well then you should have you should have children or fruit of that intimacy. And this has been the issue is that we've claimed to have wisdom, but people are looking for the kids running around. So when you walk into, that's why when the, the, when the guy that's got kids, the, his, his enemies are condemned at the gates. That was too deep. When you walk around, when you have intimacy with God, there's fruit. There's evidence of the intimacy. It's God's design. You can't be intimate and have no children. And the children now, the fruit of your life testifies to those who are barren and they say, how did you get kids? How did that fruit get in your life? And then now the pump is primed and you can share with them what God has so graciously accomplished in your heart through intimacy. But I've just seen people go about, and again, we've all done it, and there's so much grace for you, you know, where you're like, well, I gotta tell so-and-so right away, and it's not real in you, and then they ask a question or they poke you and you get offended. You know? Because we get offended, we're like, but it's true, but it felt so good, but then it's gotta be real, you know? All right. Um, go to Philippians 1. We're gonna, uh, we're gonna talk about the heart of a cultivator, I, I wish I could. We'll take more questions. We're gonna do a panel later today uh, and get into some of that. If you've got them, you can write them down. You can find me at some point. <clears throat> um, I said this last night briefly, but, um, and this actually ties into your question um, about, about communicating this. So we've talked about the message. We've talked about the Messiah, the high priest and the bridegroom, but how we live that out and how we communicate that is really important. Um, I don't feel the need to defend God. And, and I, have, I have struggled. There's certain things I think we can do as believers that we shouldn't do. Like everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. <clears throat> so, I never, I never actually wanted to be in full-time ministry. I, I thought it was weird. Um, I, I just like, Lord, let me, 
I like business, you know, because rocks are hard, water's wet. You can create something, there's value, you can exchange it. Like, that's really, I like that. You know what I mean? Uh, ministry's weird because it's hard to have, it's hard to know what success is. It's hard to measure, right? And how, how many of you know we like to measure things? Man, we love measuring stuff. So uh, over the years, and God called me to ministry, and I was like, okay, Lord, I really wrestled with understanding, Lord, is this, am I, am I in the, am I where I'm supposed to be, you know? And, and so as I, I would spend time with the word, I would spend time with the scriptures, I found myself really gravitating towards the apostle Paul because I saw a lot of the stuff that, that really my, the, the birth in my heart of my ministry was God teach me the gospel like you taught Paul because this man ran with it, he endured all this stuff, um, and, and he didn't receive it from any man, but he received it by a revelation of you, Jesus. And so um, I began to read this, and one day I was reading in Philippians, and, and like I said earlier today, um, I like to read the word and let it cut me, and let it convict me, and let it, and let it expose where I'm not. Let me tell you right now, I don't know where you're at with the Lord. I don't know like how on fire your heart is. I don't care. Like maybe you're just barely coming into the kingdom. I don't know. Here's what God can work with. He can work with wherever you're at today. He can can do a whole heck of a lot with where you're at with a yes in your heart. Let me tell you what he can't work with is you being where you're at pretending to be somewhere else. He can't work with that. He doesn't want you to pretend to be more holy and spiritual than you are. Especially in an environment like this. Well, man, I'm around all these people. You be right where you're at in the fullness of your process, in the fullness of God, you know, disciplining you and exposing areas where you feel like, like I said, remember the deep tissue message? Is it making more sense now? Where, where, where something gets said and you're like, ooh, that's not in my life, but I want it to be. And at that intersection, I'm just, I'm giving you tools here to walk this out because what we're about to do is going to convict many of you like it convicted me. When you get to that intersection of something's revealed and you're like, ooh, that's not in my heart. It should be, I see that it should be because it's scriptural, but it's not. When that's revealed, you're at a crossroads. You either get to recognize the desire to be more like God or you get to go down shame and condemnation and go, I can't believe you're not that way. And we know which one to pick, right? Anyone wanna be real and go, yeah, I've, I've been at that crossroads today? Come on, I know it's happening. You hear something, you see something, and especially environments that are charged like this, you're like, oh, I want that there. It's not there shoot, it's probably because I haven't fill in the blank. And God doesn't want you to do that. He just wants you to say, I'm not there. I want to be. Would you father me? And now all of a sudden you can start taking steps forward. You can stay in proximity to God instead of hiding from him because, well, you're not where you should be. So what we're about to do, I'm gonna do part one of this before lunch. I'll do part two after lunch of the heart. And then you're gonna hear from Christy. Um, and then we're gonna actually get into the, the practicals of facilitating a group, okay? 
Um, so, so Philippians 1, um, we'll start in verse... Twenty-one. Philippians one twenty-one. This is Paul talking. He's writing to the church. He's been in prison. He says this: "For to, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain." Does that sound like a man who's concerned about what's being censored on Twitter? We need help. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, your life's gonna be, that's gain. You can't threaten a Christian with death. When you get free of the fear of death, you just live with that wild look in your eye. You're free. Hebrews says that the fear of death held us in slavery and bondage our whole lives until the devil was defeated. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. Verse 23, I am hard pressed. Say hard pressed and think about it as we keep reading. He's hard pressed. Between the two, what two? To live is Christ, to die is gain. He's pressed between those two realities of living in the flesh or dying and being with the Lord. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Say your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress in joy in, oh, y'all didn't say it, for your progress and joy in, So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So I read this and I thought, Lord, I am not being pressed by either of these realities. Pressing. Pressing is not, pressing is pressing. The picture I got is like a panini from both sides being imprinted, right? He's being pressed on one side by his intense burning love for Jesus and he says out of his mouth, he goes, if I could choose, I would rather depart from this body and go be with the Lord. This is the number one target and aim for our heart. 
my heart for you when you leave tonight or tomorrow is that you leave and the, and the, the most like pressing thing is you're like, man, I wanna be with him. That, that, that is sparked in your heart as a target for you in your Christian life is that you can come to a place where you can actually desire death to depart so that you can be with him. I believe it pressed on him. I believe it motivated him. I believe he had, I believe Paul was a very simple man. I believe he had only two things that was the V8 engine in his ministry and in his life. And the first one that was the, that was the most dominating one was his love for Jesus Christ. I think it was simple. I think it was pure. I think at the purest level, he's just like, I want to be with him. And, and to me, that existed because Jesus was real to him. Now listen, Jesus appeared to Paul on multiple occasions. So Paul had the privilege of seeing Jesus. Now how many of you have seen Jesus in the flesh? How many of you have seen him like in a dream where you actually saw him? Okay, so a few more. So something happens when you see Jesus and you are awakened to just how real he is. He's, he's just different. And so, so Paul, Paul was like, man, I, he's, like, he's like writing to these people that he loved. Think about this for a second. He's like, guys, I love you so much, but I'd actually rather be with him. But then he says this, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Meaning if I went to be with him, your progress and joy in the faith would suffer. The only thing that kept him, I believe, from saying, Lord, take me, was his love for people. There's not an ounce of selfishness in that. There's not an ounce of, I'm in this for me. There's not an ounce of, well, what am I gonna get out of this? There's not an ounce of, well, I'm gonna compare my ministry to others and you know, uh, let me puff myself up and I'm getting all my identity and all my, my strength from being in this place. No, he was like, I wanna be with him and I love you. And if you were to ask me, like if you say, okay, Peter, we wanna run with Braveheart, we wanna do this thing, I, I, am, I am asking you to ask the Father to cultivate this heart in your life. That you would, you would come to that place where you're pressed. And I'm telling you, even now, I've, I, I, this was years ago, I read this and I was like, Lord, that is not in me. And today it's more in me than it was, but it's still not in me like there's still more, you know, like you can still be pressed more. And I still sit before God and I read that and I go, God, just press my life, pull me, like, like pull out the areas where I'm still living for me. Pull out the areas in ministry or in my relationship with you where I'm being self-serving and self-seeking and let the fire of your love consume me so that I am being pulled by these two directions because that's where purity takes place. 
Now this is amazing because in verse 25, he basically says, man, I'm convinced because of your account, I'm actually gonna remain in the flesh. And listen, he, he's giving summary thoughts here. You can't take this lightly. We've been talking about the faith. He knew that his ministry was for one purpose, the progress and joy in Progress and joy in This was his target. So many of us, maybe you've been in ministry, maybe you desire to be in ministry. I want you to think that the, the target for the heart of someone who's gonna run with the gospel is, is A, that your faith is burning. Number one, that you let the Father cultivate a living faith in you through a revelation of his son. But B, that you're able to cultivate that faith in others. That you can actually, listen to me, you can cause people to progress and have joy in their faith. That's a privilege. That's an honor because it's that faith that will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. And you can play a role in that. And if you look at Thessalonians, Paul says, are you not my joy and my crown at the Lord's return? The Thessalonians, Paul's basically saying, hey guys, did you know that when he comes, I'm gonna look at you and I'm gonna look at him and I'm gonna go, huh? You're my joy, you're my crown, you're my boast at the Lord's return. Look, God, these people I labored for, they look like you. We formed you in them. You're his prize, and I get to rejoice in that. I get to glory in that with him because I'm presenting you to him. Now watch this. Verse 27, now he's getting to the real work. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now listen, when you read that phrase, the gospel of Christ and worthy, many of us don't know where to put that. We don't know what that means. And so to go back to what we said previously, he's saying, I want your life to be worthy of one whom Jesus has been unveiled to you as your Messiah, your high priest and bridegroom. I want your life to reflect to the world your manner, what you do, how you talk, how you move, how you pour coffee, how you walk into a room, how you, what you do at night, how you drive on the road, how you go to Chili's. Like I want everything you do, your manner of life to be worthy, to be, to be, to be authentic with, with this gospel, which is, a, which is an all-consuming revelation of Jesus Christ. Saying, I want your life to reflect that reality the best you can as, as what you know. Because how many of you know we can't reflect what we don't know? And so we can say, well, how come no one, you know, you heard from Betsy and Matt last night, people say, how come no one taught me this? Listen, they didn't teach you but God is faithful and he'll redeem your entire past. I don't care what denomination you came from. It's not wasted. There's, there's beauty and redemption in all of it. I am so thankful for the Bible church. Well, they didn't believe in the Holy Ghost. No, no, no. They gave me a foundation in the Bible that I have to this day. Well, what about the Catholics and all? They're all messed. The Catholics... Are you kidding me? 
They're amazing. Their reverence for God, their, 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 their history from the beginning to fight for the faith. He'll redeem your past. He'll take all of it and make it beautiful. So he says, I want your manner of life to be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I can't stress this enough. What you do in public and private matters. If you're different in public than you are in private, then you're not authentic. You're not real. If you act differently in private than you do here, then something's wrong. And you're living for man and not for God. And Paul said it very plainly. He goes, if I were still trying to be a servant of man, I could not be a servant of God. If I were trying to please man, I could not be a servant of God. I'm actually not here to please you guys. I understand maybe my communication style, I'm young, there's older people. There's so many obstacles and barriers for you to receive from here, but I'm not here necessarily to please you and to try to jump through whatever expectation and hoops that you have, right? I'm here to please God and to be faithful with what he's given me, and I pray and trust that it's of value to you in your faith that you can actually make progress and have more joy than you did than when you came in. That's why we're here. But many people are still stuck in man-pleasing, in the fear of man, well, what are they gonna say about me? So they get in environments like this and they begin to change and posture and do different things that they wouldn't do normally because they're still afraid of man. Now, listen, I, I said the th thing earlier about I've been the chief of everything. I really was the chief fear of man guy. I was a chameleon. I could look at you and whatever you were looking for, I could become. Yeah, I didn't have any identity. I was just like, whatever anyone wanted, I was that. People pleaser. I was a slave to what you thought of me. And it was bondage. The fear of man is a snare. So if you're gonna do this thing, you're gonna have to get free real quick of that. Can we be real about that? Well, what if someone, well, what if someone rejects me? What do you mean, what if? They will reject you. You will be betrayed. You will be misunderstood. They will accuse you and falsely say all kinds of things about you. Rejoice and be glad. If this is still about you and your name and you being praised and you being all that, you will, it will so quick you will fall off the rails. I'm just telling you right now, if this is about you, you will fall off the rails so fast, you'll just start and then off the rails. You ever watch the American Ninja Warrior thing? <laughs> Y'all know those people and they're like, you got the ones that are just like skipping through it, they're doing so good and then you got this guy and he's dressed all goofy and he's like, all right, and he does the first one and he just trips and falls in the water. If it's about you, that will happen. You take that first little step all confident and then whoo-hoo. We gotta get free of that. And to me, one of the only ways you get free of that is you let God's opinion of you be the only one that matters. And that takes time. It's good in theory, but it actually takes time for the application of that to settle in your heart. 
Like I've had to spend a lot of time hearing what God thinks about me, hearing his assessment of me in the face of people rejecting me and not understanding me. It's not just a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. I want you guys to hear that. So he says, listen, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you were standing firm in one spirit. Say one spirit. With one mind. Say one mind. Striving. Say striving. I know that's a naughty word to a lot of people. Striving. Striving. Uh-oh, what are we striving for? Side by side, meaning there's, there's a sense of community and connectedness. For what? What are we striving side by side for? The faith of what? If I were to ask you before you came in here to describe and define the faith of the gospel, how many of you 100% would go, I'm confident I can describe it with my mind and with my words? Not many hands. That's a big problem. See, one spirit's one thing. One spirit, we can go, yeah, we're one spirit, right? We all kind of can just smear that over. Like, yeah, we're one spirit because we can't really quantify that. One mind, you can actually quantify. One mind means we understand the same thing with our minds. One mind. So people will often say, well, how come you just, how come you spend all this time talking and I want to get more in the glory because we need one mind. And our minds need to be renewed because we can be one spirit all you want, but then all of a sudden you're one spirit. And if you're not one mind, you're going to be divided over your mind. No, that's what's happened. We've been, we started with one spirit, but we weren't content with, we were just content with spirit and we didn't, we weren't, we didn't pursue the one mind. We didn't strive for the faith of the gospel. And so this is a big deal. So now when you hear the faith of the gospel, I want you to see it's talking about the collective revelation of the Messiah, high priest, and bridegroom, and that's not up for grabs, and that unifies all of us, right? If we acknowledge who he is, all of a sudden now, and like, and like I've been crucified with Christ, and I've been buried with him and resurrected with him, and I look at Jeff, and I look at Christy, and I look at Alyssa and Trevor, and I'm like, and they have that same experience of having been crucified with Christ and buried with him and resurrected with him. I don't care what the expression necessarily of their worship or their prayer life or all that looks like. I just wanna know because the, the, I wanna know that we're connected in that level, in a spiritual level that I would never accuse them or break fellowship with them. Why? Because we have one faith. We're gonna strive side by side for that faith because that's the faith of the gospel. That's not up for grabs. Who Jesus is is not up for grabs. And so as we begin to labor and run with the gospel, this has to be our focus. We have to see people learning to strive side by side, meaning we're in this together. I was pleading with you earlier this morning. I'm like, I, I sometimes feel alone in this race. I was talking to Rod after the session. He goes, man, I feel alone. There's people we feel alone, and, and it's because we've been kind of trained by our culture that, like, we got to do it by ourselves, and you can't. 
We need each other's faith. You know, the Bible talks about, I want you to encourage each other every single day. Meaning that you weren't intended, you are not designed to stay in the faith without each other. It's not about just your own secret place. Well, I'm gonna get real strong in the faith all by my own self. Stop it. This is part of God's design. That we would have times like this together where we could fellowship and talk and go, man, like let's be encouraged by each other's faith. What does that look like? It's like we're constantly revealing like what my sister in the back, she asked, she's like, I feel like I'm, there's areas of my life and as she goes to the Father and, 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 and the Father reveals Jesus by the Holy Spirit to her, she can come and go, man, can I tell you what the Lord showed me? And she's sharing that, and I was so encouraged. All of a sudden, you hear that, and you're encouraged, and then you take that, and you share that with a friend. And now all of a sudden, we're, our faith is being strengthened. It's contagious. One spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. For a long time, I've, I've noticed that, that there's, um, with people that are preaching and teaching, there's people that are right, but they act wrong. And it really breaks my heart because what they're carrying is so good and true, but then their life, the way in which they deliver it, the manner in which they, they express it, I think can compromise the purity and the integrity of the message. And there is a, there is a I think someone said it earlier, it was so good. There's both a gentleness to God and a fierceness to God that I think that, that it's really important for us. And so... I'm, the reason I'm sharing that is because I really feel like as we, as we set out on this journey together that we need to let God examine not just what we're saying but how we're saying it and how we're living. There's an authenticity, like it, it's hard to describe this, but, but what you do in secret and the consistency of your life will, will impact the power of your words in a public setting. There's an inner knowing, like when Jesus taught, this, the Pharisees and the scribes, they marveled and they said, he teaches as one with authority, not as the scribes. Why? Because he was the word. So when he talked, it hit him in a way that was like, huh, huh. You, did you know Jesus' message was the same as John the Baptist's? Repent for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. But when Jesus said it, something hit, different. It hit when John, it hit him in a way to get baptized, but when Jesus spoke it, it hit him in a different way. And, and I, I'm saying that because I think for, for too long, we've just been like, oh, it doesn't really matter. And I wanna tell you that there's a worthiness to your life that God is looking for. And it doesn't come by trying to live worthy. It comes by allowing the gospel to give you the hash marks of what you can and cannot do. I'll give you an example, because Christy's here. Um, we've been married 12, 13 years. <laughs> and we had, we've had we had one argument. And um, <laughs> that's a joke. 
And in that one argument, I was right. And, and anyway, we were having a hard time. We were, we were, we were at each other. And I remember feeling very, um, I remember feeling very justified and misunderstood in my offense. Anyone ever been there? I was like, Lord, she's wrong. She's wrong here. And I'm right. And, and I don't know, she might say that was true now. I don't know. Maybe not. But in, in any event, I, I was really offended and I was really hurt. And I went to my room and I was spending time with the Lord. And I say spending time, I was complaining to the Lord. And I was presenting my case before the Lord as a judge because I was looking for a judgment on my behalf. I said, Lord, you know my heart, and this is what I did, and this is what she did, and that hurt my feelings, and that was wrong. And I presented this whole case, and it was a fantastic case. It was airtight. You know when you're presenting your case to the Lord, you just want to make sure it's tight. If you have any holes, loopholes, he'll get through there, right? At least that's what I thought. Like he'll just poke a hole in your argument, your, your legal argument, right? And he's like, no, you missed a point here. And so mine was airtight. I was like, Lord, I've got this. I have cornered the Lord with my argument. And, and so I present this whole thing and I hear the Lord speak to me, the Father, because I'm just bringing it before him and I'm frustrated and he goes, he goes, you're right. And I was like, nailed it. He was like, you're absolutely right, son. And I was like, all right. Felt so good for like six seconds. He was like, so what are we gonna do? And I was like, you know, then it was like, okay, what are we, we're gonna do a judgment now, you know? <laughs> if I'm right, then what's the consequences? Well, you can withhold your affection. You can wait for her to repent, say she's sorry. And I was like, that sounds good. <laughs> I like that one. Let's do that one. Let's wait for her to acknowledge the error of her ways and come to me in, in repentant humility. Let's wait for that. And then we'll restore kind of our connection. So we were kind of marinating in that together, me and the father. And then he said this phrase, he asked me a question. He said, but son, he said, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be like me? Oh, it was the worst. <laughs> and in a moment, I want you to see how this plays out in real life. Because we talk about the cross. We're like, yeah, the cross is finished. Then you get in a fight with your spouse. And, and she's 100% wrong and you're 100% right. And you want to you wanna walk out something worthy and you want to have integrity, but you're not willing to actually follow him. And he says, do you want to be right or do you want to be like me? And I was like, I'm going to be like you. <laughs> now listen, I want you to know this. I still had the feelings of hurt and pain and like offended. I, don't, I want you to think that like somehow I started levitating on my bed. 
and had this like glorious encounter. There was no glorious encounter. It was a whisper in my heart. Do you want to be right? Do you want to be like me? And I'm still in the mess of my emotions. And I knew what he was saying was, I want you to forgive her, not hold it against her, open your heart to her and treat her as if it never happened. Why? Because of the cross. Did you know that's what the cross is about? That he forgives a people while they're crucifying him? This is the foundation of our faith. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Yet we feel justified in withholding our affection because someone wrongfully offended us. You're gonna, you're gonna marinate in your emotions and talk to your girlfriends and your guy friends and your pastors and go, yeah, you're right. Well, yeah, they need to prove that they're willing to repent before you open up and do fellowship again. Really? Really? Is this how tender we are? That hurts, doesn't it? See, we justify withholding affection and not walking like him because we're still living for us. But she disrespected you and she needs to, maybe, man can argue that. And so with all of the pain in my heart, can, I, can you hear me? There's pain there. I'm not immune. I'm not some robot. I think people hear me talk and they think I'm a robot. I'm not. It's real. People think when I talk this way, like this guy doesn't believe in feelings and emotions and he doesn't have, must have anything. He, I'm feeling all the things you would have felt when you've been offended, when you've been hurt and wronged. It's real. It hurts. It's painful. And with real pain in my heart, yet with a real voice in my heart, I follow the voice. And he says, forgive her and open your heart to her and treat her as if it never happened. Now in my flesh, that's hard to do. And so I go to her and I was like, I don't forget exactly what I said, but I, I took a step of faith and confessed that to her the best I knew how and just said, hey, I love you, I'm sorry. And I, I tried to take ownership for what could have been perceived as like where my role in that, however she was feeling, even if I felt like it was unfair and wrong, I would take ownership and go, hey, where I, where I hurt you, like I need to take ownership of that. I'm sorry and I love you. And I want you to know that my heart's wide open to you. Now listen, hear me. I'm saying that and there's still some of the yuck in my heart, but as I'm saying it, my father is, is loving on me and he's cleansing my heart. And the spirit's like, the spirit's like spinning and whirling. He's like, oh my goodness, he really does want to be like me. A man's wisdom gives him patience and it is to his glory to overlook an offense. An offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city and disputes are like the barred gates of a castle. In your relationship, listen, and I feel it in my spirit right now. Now I'm prophesying and we're off script. There's people here, you've been offended by the church, you've been offended by a spouse, you've been offended by a family member. And you've built up Jericho in your heart because offense and disputes is like Jericho. And you've built up walls and you've been justified and even people have told you you're justified in that wall that you built. And I just see Jesus and he's doing laps around that thing. 
and he's on lap six. And he's about to blow a trumpet. And he wants to set you free from that offense. I feel this prophetically now. We've been teaching up here and now we're looking here. There's a fence in the room that hasn't been dealt with. And that offense is an opportunity for God to bestow glory upon you if you are willing to overlook it. Now listen, overlooking offense, it absolutely causes a death to the part of us that is obsessed with the knowledge of good and evil and righting every wrong. We're obsessed with, well, that's good and that's bad and we need to balance the scales and they need to, hold on, hold on. He died for that. He paid for their sin. He paid for what they did against you. And as a follower of Christ, he's asking, are you gonna collect a debt that I paid for? Are you seeking to collect their debt? Think about this for a minute. That's what we do. When we dial back and we withhold affection and we withhold blessing and we withhold love and we withhold kindness and we withhold who we are, now we distance ourselves because they're not trustworthy. When we do that, we're saying, hey, I'll open back up to you when you pay your debt to me by X, Y, Z. But 2 Corinthians 5 says we're called to be ministers of reconciliation, not counting their trespasses against them. God making his appeal through us. What if their repentance doesn't come until we demonstrate his kindness to them? What if repentance doesn't come without kindness? I wonder if that's not in the word. That it's his kindness that leads men to repentance. And so what you're asking them to do is you're asking them to repent without an expression of kindness. And then they can't repent because they're not seeing the kindness of God. And so then we get taken out. Now we're at odds against each other. Why? Because we're still living for ourselves. I know this is hard. And I want you to know it, it feels like death. Because it is death. And for us to say that I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me is to allow the Christ that lives in me to forgive and to show kindness. Do you know what happened that day when I was offended? I'm not some super Christian. I am the most ordinary, vanilla, plain you'll ever meet. But he lives in me. All I did in that moment was let him live through me. I didn't go find forgiveness and mercy. I didn't climb some spiritual ladder to hear from God. He asked me a question if he was willing to express his kindness and his mercy through me. And I said, okay. And my flesh kicking and screaming the whole way. Do you hear that? My flesh was kicking and screaming the entire way. It wasn't like I somehow got up on top of my flesh. You get in place, flesh. No, my flesh was kicking and screaming, but my spirit, man, because now I'm a spirit. I've been born of God. I walk in the 
spirit. I started walking in the spirit while my flesh behind me being dragged, going, you just, now, you know, and it's still there manifesting, but now I've chosen to walk by the spirit because I've been born of God. And as I took that baby step of faith that was feeble and broken and busted, God said, that pleased me. And he began to form his nature in me. And then the next time, you know what happened when I got offended? It was a little bit easier to do that. And then pretty soon you look, for, you look at it, you, you go down the road that way, and guys, it becomes really hard to get offended. People are like, I hate you. I hate your teaching. You're ugly and you're young. And you just look at them with love, you know? You're like, I love you. I'm like, you're amazing. (sighs) They just growl, you know? You're just beautiful. You have no idea. You have no idea. And you're not moved because you're just defined by him and him alone.